friend Luke chapter 7, and I am so excited about this study. As today we look at the life of a centurion, and as I shared with you guys uh, many times uh, before, you know, in looking at the Gospels, I think our primary focus needs to be on the character, the words, the works of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we're definitely going to learn that today. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to see his authority. Today, as we go through our study, we're going to see the authority that Jesus Christ has. The centurion recognizes it. And he realizes that just um, a word from the lips of the Lord changes everything. He saves a life by standing in the gap and running to Christ for his friend. And so we see the authority of Jesus. And I pray you guys would know the authority of Jesus. And remember, he said, all authority has been given to me and I'm with you. And so whatever it is, the challenges that we have in life, we're going to learn that, that the authority of Christ is enough, you guys. And so we're going to learn that about the Lord. But another thing we're going to learn is this centurion, you know, this soldier, a Roman soldier. He was a great guy. He really was. Um, An example for us. I'm 44 years old now. And for some of you, that's kind of old. And for some of you, that's kind of young probably, huh? For the rest of you, we're right in the you know, ripe age right there. But, you know, I'm learning what life really is. Um, I'm learning that it's not about, you know, them changing or them changing or her changing. It's about me changing. It's about me growing and becoming a man of God. And this centurion is going to be a great example for us, you guys. If you're here and you want more of the Lord to be like the Lord in your life, I think you're going to be blessed in studying the integrity and character of this uh, Roman centurion. And so let's read uh, verses 1 and 2 as we get into our text here. It says in verse 1, Now when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, He entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, who was sick and ready to die. And so we read in verse 1 that Jesus concluded all his sayings. He concluded his teachings, and so now it's time for traveling. We read here that he entered Capernaum. Uh, It's a city on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, As the Gospels indicate, Jesus' ministry often centered in Capernaum. And we even read in the Bible that that was probably his home. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. And so, you know, more than likely, uh, even though we know Jesus traveled a lot, this was kind of his home, this is kind of his base of operations And the centurion was stationed there. And so we don't know if he ever met Jesus, but apparently because of his proximity, he heard of Jesus. And so we read that Jesus enters Capernaum. And then in verse 2, it says that this centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. If you read the account in Matthew, it says that the servant was paralyzed 
and he was dreadfully tormented. And so think about it. Here's a situation where his servant is paralyzed, he's dreadfully tormented, and he's ready to die. You kind of think it's a hopeless situation. Most people would probably give up, but there's something about the centurion that's a, a little deeper. As a matter of fact, the interesting thing is this. You know, it's kind of weird that he would even care about this slave. In the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves, and a slave was simply considered to be a piece of property. And so here he is, he's sick, he's getting ready to die. Um, The average person would just say, okay, well, he dies, he dies, and then I'll replace him with another slave, maybe a better one. Kind of like a friend of mine recently, he has an old TV, and he was telling me, man, I can't wait for it to die so I can get a new one, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of like the way we would think he would look at this. So the centurion comes, and he sends his delegates, and apparently the centurion cares. Now that right there is uh, admirable. It might even be phenomenal because centurions were kind of up there on the social ladder while servants were at the bottom, right, considered to be a piece of property. You know, what do you do? Well, you just replace them. We know that a centurion was a Roman officer in charge of at least 80 to 100 soldiers. The centurion was the highest-ranking non-commissioned officer They were considered to be the backbone of the Roman military organization, you know. And so you read about the centurions. One of the things that's kind of interesting is that in the Bible, they're always spoken of in a positive light. You read the Gospels. You read the book of Acts. There was something about a centurion, apparently, that was a a man of character, a man of integrity, especially this one right here. You know, he has a servant, it says, who was dear to him. Other translations say he highly valued him. And rather than just letting him die, which would be the normal practice, he goes way outside the box and he sends elders of the Jews to Jesus. And so we read here in verse 3, it says, So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servants. The elders of the Jews, they would be the judges of that town, the local judges at Capernaum. And so through them, the centurion pleads for Jesus to come and to heal his servants. Now, just as a quick side note here, when I read this, I was really struck with the fact that this is an excellent illustration of intercessory prayer. And if you know anyone who's sick or suffering, you know that here we have an individual standing in the gap. Maybe you might even know someone who's unsaved and dead. I think we all do. They're already dead spiritually who need someone to plead on their behalf. I encourage you to make sure that you have a heart for intercessory prayer. Because what a difference it makes. We're going to see in the end that through the centurion's intercession, through him stepping in and even stepping outside the box, this man's life was saved. And we need to know that God can do the same thing. He wants to do the same thing through our life. And so he sends the elders. He wants to get to Jesus. And when they get there, check out this guy's testimony. In verse 4, 
It says, And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now, you know, we know that no one is worthy uh, to be healed or even to be heard. You know, we're not worthy on our behalf. But this man apparently had an incredible testimony among the Jews. You know, for those of you who are familiar with the scriptures, you got to admit, huh, just the fact that the Jewish elders went to Jesus at all is pretty amazing, huh? Because normally the Jews would reject Christ. They didn't want to get near him. But apparently the centurion was so right on, real and radical that they were willing to go to Jesus on his behalf. You know, this guy right here, the centurion, I think we can learn from him. You know, like I said earlier, I'm 44 years old, man, and I feel like I'm just beginning to get a grip of really what it's all about, the the desire and the possibility through the power of the Holy Spirit to be a godly man. And so what the Lord does a lot of times is he'll put stories in the Bible like this to kind of shake us up and to make us evaluate our own life. Check out this centurion. He's not even a Jew. But look at him. There's some things about him, I think, that are so incredible. The first thing we see about him right here is that he loves the nation of Israel. He loves. And we'll start there, at least with this man, you know. And that's where we need to really examine our life. You know, there are some within the church who say that the sign or the seal of a right-on, real radical Christian is speaking in tongues. You guys have ever heard that? Ah, if you're really right-on, you're going to speak in tongues, right? And then there's others. You can watch them on the television who are just as wrong, and they say that, that, that it means that everything goes perfect in your life, health, wealth, and prosperity. That means you're a real radical, right-on Christian, right? And, and that's the sign of God's approval, right? But, but that's not the, what the Bible teaches You know, we know that that's really not what it's all about. You know, what's really, you know, manifestation of a real right on radical Christian, at least first of all, as we look at this right here, is that is that word love. huh? So we're love. First Corinthians 13, 13, it says, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. You know, and I want to encourage you guys to really examine your life. You know, uh, a couple of things we can note about this, okay? Because I know everybody here, you say you love, and we say we love. Okay, we say we love, but do we really love? Okay, how do we know that the centurion loved? Did he say so? No, he didn't say so. The people that he loved said so. The nation of Israel said so, right? And I, I've shared with you guys before, and we need to just really, you know, man, come to grips with this. You know, you say you love your wife. Okay, cool. I'm going to ask her, not you. See, she's got to be the one who, who sees, who says, who knows that you really do put her before yourself. See, first of all, we see that it was the nation of Israel who said that he loved. It wasn't him. And so we have to ask the recipients of our love whether or not we really love them. I don't care how many times you say it. It doesn't matter. Do they 
Do they know you love them? And, and then the second thing we see is that it was an active love. How, how did they know? It says he loves our nation. What did he do? He built them a synagogue, huh? And that's why it's important for us to know. You know, I know when we first started off in life and we were teenagers, you know, we went goo-goo and gaga eyes or whoever it was that we said that we, you know, I'm in love, you know. I'll never forget the first time Shelly told me I love you. I told her I love you. You know, we didn't know what love was. We did not know what love was. We thought we were in love because love is not, you know, this feeling inside of us. Love is not a word that we say. Love is active, demonstrated, and proven by the work and the actions that you do. And that's exactly what we see here in this centurion here. You know, when they, when they came to Jesus and said, Lord, you know, this guy, he's worthy. He loves our nation. He built us a synagogue. You know, and all I'm saying is this, you guys, we've got to really check our lives, you know. And, you know, for me, it comes in little things. It comes in big things. It could be something as small as, as fixing a leaky faucet for my wife. I'm learning how to do plumbing. I'm not very good at it. I usually break more things than I fix. But eventually, as we replace all the old parts with new parts, it begins to work. But it's little things like that. It's me like when I woke up in the morning today and I'm spending time with the Lord and I'm worshiping and I'm reading my Bible, getting ready for the study. And then the Holy Spirit, he convicts me and he says, you know, you're going to get yourself ready, huh? And then when it's time to go, you kind of jump in the car with the family. You know, why not... You know, get them ready. Why not help Shelly out with the kids or, or different things? You know, read a devotional to them. It's when you really begin to think of other people. It's an active life. It's a proven love. And that's what this centurion had. You know, he loved their nation. And it wasn't just lip love. It was life love. It wasn't just talk love. It was tangible love. It wasn't just pretend love. It was practical love. It wasn't just felt love. It was even a financial love. Because love always acts. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. I'm telling you this, you guys. Love goes way beyond words. It's a life of unselfishness. And a lot of times I think we struggle with that. Not only that, the thing that I think we learn from the centurion right here is that he loves, it says right there in verse 5, he loves our nation. All I can say is this, man. When God begins to do a work in us, we love all people equally. And yet at the same time, there's acknowledgement of something special about the nation of Israel. You know, and I got to think about this, okay? I mean, think about this. All the prophets, they were Jewish. The Bible is primarily written by Jews, right? It's the Jewish history past, present, the Jewish history, future, right? And and if that wasn't enough, our Savior was Jewish. There's something about the nation of Israel. When God begins to work, he puts a love inside of you for all people and an acknowledgement of something special 
for the nation of Israel. We learn from the centurion right here. You know, and God will bless those who bless his people. Genesis 12, verse 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And that's what the Bible teaches. It's true. You know, and we have to know this, you guys. This is why America is on shaky ground under the current administration, because our support of Israel has all but died. We are no longer on their side. It's funny what oil can do, huh? But see, when God looks at nations, we need to know this. He looks at two things. Number one, their response to the gospel. But number two, right next to it, their response to Israel. And that's why we, we need to be ready. You know, it was interesting. I was reading some research on this. And I don't want to sound weird or anything. But it was a year ago, uh, 2010, March 11th, where Japan officially turned their backs on Israel. To the day, to the very day they made a public, formal announcement that the decisions of the Israeli government were hideous to them. One year later, to the day, earthquake, tsunami, thousands of people dying. Now, does that mean the Japanese people are wicked people? No, we're all wicked. But God judges nations. He will judge every nation on this side of time. Not every person, but every nation. How they respond to the gospel, how they respond to Israel. God blesses those who bless them. He curses those who curse them. Oh, is Japanese, are they wicked, Manny? No, I'm not saying that. We need to go, we need to pray. God's going to use it for good. As a matter of fact, I would probably say they're better people than we are in some ways, huh? What would we do if there was an earthquake slash tsunami chaos? What would we do? We'd loot, huh? Go break into everybody's house, huh? We need guns, I think. I'm just joking. (laughs) As part of our preparation for this whole thing, man, because it's coming, you guys. It's coming. It's coming. America, it's, it's coming. Earthquake, tsunami, it's coming. We need to be ready. But we see in looking at this, from this centurion, so many beautiful things that are representative of a healthy Christian. We need to love all people, and especially God's people, that would be Christians, I think, and that well is a special place for the nation of Israel. Now, a lot of people don't know what love is, so let me just mention to this to you guys real quickly. Love is unconditionally, sacrificially seeking someone else's highest good. Love is an action. Love is proven. Love can be comforting, and sometimes love is correcting. You're unconditionally, sacrificially, Seeking someone else's highest good. It doesn't mean that you're going to love those if they love you back because that's not love. It doesn't mean that you have certain limitations because that's not love. It's unconditionally, sacrificially seeking their highest good. Of course, that would primarily be spiritual, but it's in all walks of life. Like I said, it's active, it's proven, it's comforting at times. Correcting at times. Do you have that type of love? What's the antithesis to this? I think it's selfishness, huh? And so we learn these things from the centurion. 
Let's love all and especially God's people. You know, I'm sure when the centurion built this synagogue right here um, and he had that type of love, you know, I'm sure everyone expressed their appreciation to him, right? He probably heard it all the time, words of gratitude, commendation, who knows, maybe even flattery, right? Uh, But it didn't get to him. And that's the the beautiful thing. The second thing we see about this guy, look what it says in in verse 6. It says, And then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I don't even think myself worthy to come to you. How does life work? What's life all about? What kind of man, what kind of woman do I need to be? Well, one big word is is that word love, where you no longer make decisions based on how they affect you. You base decisions based on what God's will is and how it will best bless the people around you. One word is love. The second word is humility. Humility. It's kind of funny. They came to Jesus and they said, Lord, the one that we're asking for you, he's, he's worthy. He's worthy. But when it came down to it and they asked the centurion, he said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm not even worthy to go to you and to talk to you. And that's one thing I've learned. When a person is real, radical, and right on, others will say, wow, it's a good guy. He's got a good heart. You see it. It's real. It's sincere. It's genuine. They'll say that, but you, you would never say that about yourself. You won't believe your own press. You won't believe the compliments of the crowd. Why? Because you know who you really are. To me, humility is just honesty. That's all. You know, um, we don't think we're the greatest. You know, you guys probably heard about Muhammad Ali when he, he got on the airplane and the sign came on. The stewardess said to him, fasten your seatbelts. Muhammad Ali said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And so she said right away, Superman doesn't need an airplane either, you know. <laughs> And, and for us, you know, we think we're all that, and, and really we're not. After love comes what? It comes humility. I mean, if you think about it, they were almost there, the Bible says, not far from the house. And so the centurion, he sends delegates on his behalf. He says, no, no, Lord, you, you can't come under my, my roof. You know, I know they might think something, but I know who I am. He definitely is a man of humility. They came to Augustine. They said, what's the first principle of being a Christian? And he said, I'll tell you the first, the second, and the third. It's humility. It's an honest assessment of who we are apart from Jesus Christ. You know, and it doesn't matter what God ever does with your life. You know, um, we're never going to be worthy. And that humility is so important for us. You know, Jonathan Edwards says nothing sets us so far apart from the devil's reach as humility. Very important for us, you guys. 
And Martin Luther, he talks about one time when he was watching a couple of, a couple of mountain goats, and they were traveling along the side of a mountain. And he said they were on a narrow ledge where only one could travel. On this side was a cliff, on the other side was the mountain, and they came to each other. And uh, he was like, wow, what's going to happen now, you know? And so what ended up happening, we would probably think, well, they're going to fight. Huh, they're going to fight, man, and with the best mountain goat wins type of thing. But he was blown away to see that what ended up happening was one mountain goat, he laid down, and the other one walked on top of him. And so both were saved. You see, that's what humility will do. That's the power of humility, and that is the power of the cross. Because God humbled himself, and God laid down his life, and we need to do the same. We learn from the centurion right here, especially considering the fact that he was a great Roman soldier, you know? Here he is, man, you know, considering himself unworthy to have a poor Jewish rabbi Step into his home. You know, when I think of humility, I think of another man, John the Baptist. And the Bible talks about him in John, Luke chapter 3, verse 15. It says, Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered and said, yes, I am. No, I'm just joking. He didn't, right? A lot of us would say, oh, they, they start lifting you up and they start exalting you and you're something special. And a lot of us would say, you know what? It's pretty evident, isn't it? You know, we start thinking something about ourselves. But even though God was doing such a great work through John, he knew who he was. And we have to maintain that, maintain that humility you know, I am not the best. No way. I know there's a million people, even in this congregation, that are greater than me. I don't have a problem with that. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing, right? That's not the point. The point is that God is great, and we're not worthy. None of us are worthy. I'm never going to be worthy. Not on my own righteousness. John said, listen, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All I can say is this, man. Let's learn from the centurion about his love, about his humility. And then, believe it or not, this is the, the primary point, I think, in verse 7. Again, he says, I do not... Even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Praise God. Praise God. This servant who is just about to die is now alive. He's now well because of the faith of one man. And you guys, we got to catch the vision. 
And we've got to understand that the same is true for our life. That there are people dying. Dying. And God is looking for a man of faith and a woman of faith who believes, who knows, who loves, who's humble, and who understands that, you know what, Lord, all you have the authority. You can do anything. There's nothing too hard for you. I don't need to see you. I don't need to feel you. I don't need that tangible evidence to know and believe that God can still do anything. I read the word in which it said, you turn the world upside down. I read the word about you and Jonah and Nineveh and how the whole city came to repentance. You can still do that. I read the word and I see people getting saved and kids getting saved and, you know, just people getting healed and so many things happening. And, you know, we need to know that that same God is alive and, and we need to have that faith. Only two times in the Bible did Jesus marvel. One is here. Wow, this guy's got faith. And the other is in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, right? It says, and he marveled because of what? Their unbelief. Their unbelief. You know, in looking at that, what we see here is that um, there's, a, there's a few things I think that are holding us back as American Christians. If I can just say this, you guys fight your way through this. One, selfishness. Two, pride. And three, unbelief. Love, be humble. And believe in the power of God. Because if you're a doubting disciple, if you're thinking, well, you know what? God can't do that in them and God can't do that in me and God can't do that through me and God doesn't do that anymore. He used to, but he doesn't do it anymore. Now things are different. Then James chapter 1 says you're like a man and you're tossed all over the place like waves, you know, and you're tumbling in the ocean. You are unstable in all your ways. But when you believe in the authority of God and the promises of God and the presence of God, Matthew 28 says, all authority has been given to me, Jesus said, and I am with you. I'm with you. Right? And if that Lord who has all authority is with us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? What are the challenges that you face? Jesus said if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, go over there and be removed and cast into the sea. What mountains do you have in life? What mountains will you have in life? Whatever it is, I just pray that we would rise up and be a believing church. You know, it's a little faith it took to take your soul to heaven, but it will be great faith that's required to bring heaven to earth. God wants to cultivate this congregation into Christians who really, truly believe. You heard the word. You've heard the teachings. But oftentimes we don't go out and live the life. You know, you guys should probably remember that story. I think I've told it to you before. That little girl, she came to her dad one day as he's immersed in a book. 
And she said, Daddy, Daddy, will you build me a dollhouse? And, you know, Dad's like, sure, sweetheart. And so, you know, she goes away and he's thinking to himself, one day I'll build you a dollhouse. And so what ends up happening was a little girl, she then uh, goes out and she gets her little dollies and she lets her little kitchen set and she gets all the little furnishings for the future dollhouse that her dad's going to going to build her, right? And she goes out into the yard and she starts setting things up, right? Really nice and and neat. And so the dad hears kind of like the rustling about. He goes out to the window and he sees his daughter with all the dollies and all the furnishings for the dollhouse. And he asks his wife, what's she doing? And she says, well, you you told her that you were going to build her a dollhouse and she believes you. She believes your word. You see, and that's the way it should be for us, you guys, that's the way it should be in our life. You know, we have the word of God. We have the promises of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, right? All hell underneath the feet of Christ, right? And we need to go out and we need to just live life knowing that his promises are true. Make those preparations for answered prayer. It's so important. Hebrews chapter 11 is what? The hall of faith, Right? And what ended up happening, you guys, is that they did great things. Normal people, sinful people. Abraham messed up big time. Abraham messed up big time, didn't he? Did God use his life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Jacob messed up. A lot of these guys, you know, some, it wasn't as obvious. But they changed history. How? By faith. It goes on to say that faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. And what that means, you guys, is that faith sees the invisible and attains the impossible. Do you see the invisible? Do you see God? Do you see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that are here right now? Do you see the angels and the demons, the spiritual realm, the battle that's going on? The battle for that non-believer over there. The battle battle for me right here. God wants to change my life. Do you see the invisible? And do you know that with God all things are possible? You know, the church needs to start trying to do impossible things. If you can explain it, God didn't do it, right? Probably heard that before. And that's the faith that we need to we need to have you guys man i encourage you um to live your life in light of these things that we've learned today the love versus the unselfish versus the selfishness the humility as opposed to the pride and you know this right here this this belief as opposed to the unbelief that we often have there's no marriage that's too messed up There's no relationship that's too ruined. There's no addiction that's too strong. There's no body that's beyond God's touch. There's no, you know, mission field beyond the hope. God can do anything. And a lot of times, like I shared with you guys before, man, and I I say this to myself, God, change me. Change me. Like I said, I'm 44 years old, and uh, I feel like I'm just learning. But I'm excited with the hope that God is giving to me, man. And I pray for you guys here. 
You don't have to worry about, well, I hope they change or I hope she changes or I hope they change. You know, just you, you, us, today, me. God, let it begin with me. And this centurion, he's pretty cool. (laughs) What he did was he tapped into the authority of the Almighty and he saved his friend. A lot of you guys are doing really good. You need to keep taking those steps of faith. One quick thing, actually three quick things, real quick before we go. Because I thought it was kind of cool, you guys. Check this out, verse 8. For also I'm a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. You know, we know right there he was saying that that's the way it is for me as a soldier, and he's kind of giving the parallel to Jesus Christ. But I was just thinking about that. I was thinking, wow, that's kind of cool. Real quick, we'll close with this. Lord, that's kind of cool because in one sense, that's what you tell us. God says to you, go. He says, go. Are you going? I'm not saying you've got to go to Africa, but you've got to go somewhere. Go to your kids. Go to your parents. Go to your friends. Go to your co-workers. Go to the streets. Go to the valleys and the alleys and the highways and the valleys. You've got to go somewhere and share the gospel. He says it's pretty simple. I say go, they go. Second thing, come. When I read the come, I'm, I, I know you guys probably know Matthew eleven twenty eight. What did Jesus say? Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a lot of people that are anxious, anxiety, taking medication, a lot of crazy things. You know, and you've gone to the doctors and you've gone to your friends and you've tried to get counsel from different places in the world that we live in. And, and Jesus says, come to me. Not even just come to church, come to me, come to him. And as you go to the Lord and as you're sitting at his feet, you're spending time in his word, you're on your face, quiet time with the Lord. It's so cool. He gives you rest. You're not going to make it in this world if you don't spend quiet time with the Lord. You're not. Well, you might survive, but I promise you, you will not thrive. So you got to go, you got to come, and you got to do. He says, you know, when I tell them to do this, guess what they what they do? <laughs> They just do it, right? They just do it, man. What do we Christians, when God tells us to do something, what do we usually do? Let me think about it, Lord. Maybe not tomorrow. <laughs> no, you guys. I love this centurion right here. He's a great guy. He knew how life worked. He knew about love. He knew about humility. He knew about faith, right? He knew about the authority of Jesus Christ, and he tapped into it. He saved his friend. He knew the way things operate. You know, when I say go, they go. When I say come, they come. And when I tell them to do something, they just do it. Man, I pray we would know the simplicity and the power of what it really means to be a Christian. Father, I thank you so much.
for your word, your love, your grace in our life. I can't see you. But I know you're here. You saved my life, Lord. You saved the life of us here that are Christians, Lord. You died for us. Forgive me, Lord, when I make things complicated. Lord, I pray I'd be a better husband, dad, servant, son, friend. I pray, Lord, that you would change our lives. Thank you, Father, for the example of the centurion. Thank you, Father, for the grace of God in our life. Strengthen us as a church, Lord. Move those mountains, I pray, in our life. Help us to be confident, to go out there and just know, just know you're going to answer. You're going to answer your prayers, our prayers. You're going to be true to your word. And Lord, I pray, just in case there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, Lord. And just as we are praying together, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know the Lord, you're not a Christian. If you're here today and uh, maybe you're addicted to drugs or your marriage is on the rocks, You're empty inside because you always will be empty without Jesus. You've been pretending, but you know you're not real. You're hurting. You feel like no one loves you. Man, God loves you. He died for you. And He sent out an invitation. He said, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're here today and you want to do that, you want to know you're forgiven of all your sins and when you die you'll go to heaven. You want to turn today from those sins and trust in Christ. Just in case, man, if there's anyone here today, what I want you to do is I want you to just raise your hand. Praise God. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. God says, I said before you, life and death. Choose life. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all those hands that have gone up. what it's all about. Anyone else? If you're here today and just in case, I remember when I got saved, man, my heart was beating so fast because there was a battle going on for my soul. If that's you, don't let the enemy win. God loves you and he extends that invitation to you, but he'll never force you He's a perfect gentleman. 
anyone else. Praise God. And whatever you do, don't say, well, I'll do it tomorrow or maybe next week or whatever because you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Anyone else? Oh, Lord, I thank you so much for those hands that have gone up, Lord. You're the only one that can save us all. As you sit on the throne, speak life. Speak life to those hands that went up today, Lord. Do a great work in all of our lives. Lord, we just pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you raise your hand after we sing this song, please. uh